Hallelujah. Everybody was a little sluggish last week in the heat. Don't see as many fans going today. Praise God. Isaiah 9, 6. For unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, the Mighty God, the Everlasting Father, the Prince of Peace. Amen. His name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, the Mighty God, the Everlasting Father, and the Prince of Peace. Amen. What an awesome God we serve. Amen. This child that was born, we know him as Jesus Christ, Jesus of Nazareth. And what a mighty God we serve. Ezekiel chapter 22, verse 26. Speaking of Israel, the Lord said through the prophet, Her priests have violated my law and have profaned mine holy things. Everybody say profaned. They have put no difference between the holy and the profane. Neither have they showed difference between the unclean and the clean. And have hid their eyes from my Sabbaths. And I am profaned among them. I want to preach for few minutes with God's help as the Lord has directed me this week on this subject. Awesome God. Awesome God. Hallelujah. Let's pray together. Jesus, we thank you for your word. We thank you, Jesus, for how it's settled and established forever in the heavens. And we pray today, Lord God, that your will would be accomplished in this service, that you would be praised and magnified and let lives be changed and impacted. I pray in the name of the Lord that somebody would open their heart up to you and be filled with your glorious spirit. I pray in the name of Jesus. And everyone said amen. Amen. God bless you and you may be seated. There is a word that uh, in my title that is overused, I would say, in our vernacular, in our culture. That word is awesome. Everybody say awesome. I know that uh, by overuse, I believe perhaps it's lost much of its impact. It's uh, not as powerful a word as its definition intends for it to be. You hear things like, you did awesome today. Or, man, that cobbler was totally awesome. And uh, we're, we're just trying to communicate the fact that we thought something was very, very good. Or what about this one? That was totally awesome. Everybody say totally awesome. But the word awesome, I think we've kind of lost the meaning behind the term. It means something that inspires awe. With awe meaning a mixed emotion of reverence, respect, dread, and wonder inspired by authority or the sacred. A mixed emotion of reverence, respect, dread, and wonder inspired by the authority or by authority or by the sacred. I read to you in Isaiah chapter 9, 6, this prophetic passage about the coming Messiah. We know him as Jesus. Isaiah had not been received the revelation of what the name of this child would be. So he used a number of names to define who this child would be. Descriptive names. Names like the Prince of Peace. This man is coming and he's going to bring peace. This man is going to be the everlasting father. This child that's going to be born is the mighty God. This child that's going to be born is your counselor, the one you go to in time of trouble, the one who gives you the answers that you need. And how many have found the Lord Jesus Christ to be the Prince of Peace in your situation? Is there anybody that's ever faced tremendous stress and didn't know where the answer was going to come from and you put your trust in the Lord Jesus Christ and he spoke peace to your do I have a witness in the house that he is the prince of peace and uh, that he is the mighty God and uh, when we say mighty we understand that there is nothing impossible to him 
His strength is not limited. The strength of a human arm can only lift so much, but He is a mighty God. And there's nothing that's too heavy for Him and nothing that's too hard for Him, nothing that's too far that He can't reach and nothing that's too high that He can't get to. He is a mighty God. How many have found the Lord Jesus to be a mighty God? Anybody found Him to be your counselor? When you don't know what to do, you've talked to a number of people and you can't get an answer. And you say, God, i got to know. i got to have a word from you. I need some direction from you. And God gives you the answer. He is your counselor. But I want to talk for a minute about God's first name. God's first name is Wonderful. Before He's a counselor, before He is revealed as the mighty God in your situation or the everlasting Father... I think he has to be wonderful in our eyes. Wonderful. Full of wonder. What is wonder? I looked up the definition of wonder. And the word wonder means excited, amazed, astonished, admiration at something mysterious or new to one's experience. Can I say that again, you guys listening? He's got to be wonderful to you. There has got to be an admiration that's based in excitement and amazement and astonishment at this thing that's mysterious to us or new to one's experience. And so I want us to understand that God's first name to us has to be wonderful. And we have to be careful that through the years of our experience of living for God, that we don't lose the wonder of who He is and what He represents to us. And we don't get so familiar with the things of God and the concepts of God and the words of God that we lose that sense of amazed, excited awe about this mystery and this unknown and this vastness and this greatness of God that we are in awe of. I think of a child, the first time they go into a zoo and see the elephant and the giraffe, their eyes are wide, their mouth is agape as they're filled with wonder and awe, amazement, astonishment at this unknown, vast creature. And they're just blown away by it. It is wonderful. It's full of wonder. And this has got to be in our relationship with God, something that we hold on to. And it's got to be something we consciously think about because as we serve God for many years, that which is wonderful becomes familiar. And when it becomes becomes familiar it's no longer wonderful and the problem with that is we're not able to access uh, God's greatness and God's glory because we lose the sense of wonder at who he is amen can you imagine that a voice would speak and out of nothingness appears matter that's the God that we serve amen when E.F. Hutton speaks people listen But when God speaks, things happen and things appear out of nowhere. The power of the voice of God. He is awesome. I remember as an evangelist, there was a sermon that I would preach about the voice of God. And I preached it so many times that my wife said, please do something different because I have to hear it every single time everywhere we go. The voice of God, it says the voice of God thundereth, and it says the voice of God strips the cedars of Lebanon bare. Things shake and tremble at the power of the voice of God. The God that you serve is not your puppet or your toy. He is an awesome God who is deserving of our reverence and honor and glory. He is an awesome God. Sometime I think we lose the power to access the glory of God and we operate well below our potential because we have lost this wonder about God. And by serving Him and knowing the things of God so long, we come to this mistaken assumption that we've got it figured out and we know God and we understand the mysteries of God and we can look and see the end of God. But I want to tell you, the Bible makes it clear that His ways are past finding out. The depth of the wisdom and the knowledge of God, how unsearchable are his judgments and his ways past finding out. I want to remind you today that before he can be your counselor and your mighty God and your prince of peace, there's got to be that sense of wonder and awe and amazed excitement about the greatness and the mystery of God. Our God is an awesome God. 
Come on now. When I say awesome, I'm not talking about, oh, cool, man, that was awesome. What I'm talking about is the real awesome, amen, dread, amazement, freaked out because of the power and the glory and the might of the God that we serve. Come on, I'm talking about when you get a picture of who God is, you recognize the greatness of God, your praise becomes different, your worship becomes different. Our God is an awesome God. That's why David, even though he ascended to the throne, his heartbeat was still praise and worship. Even though he was surrounded by luxury, even though he was surrounded by finery and civilized power in the world that day, there was still an amazed awe about the presence of the the Lord. And he would sit down and write, What is man that thou art mindful of me? Or the son of man that thou visitest me? Hallelujah. He would sit down and write about the glory and the majesty and the power of God. He would sit down and write, Oh, magnify the Lord with me. Let us exalt His name together. I want to tell you that David was a man after God's own heart. Because even with his failures and his mistakes and his long serving of God, he never lost the wonder. He never lost the wonder of who God was. And David's heartbeat and passion through his life was to build a temple, a dwelling place fitting for the glory and the majesty of God. He talked to the prophet Nathaniel, the man of God in his life. And uh, the man of God declared to David, you're not the one to build this temple But your son Solomon would be the one that would build it. And Solomon, when he came into his right as the king, got together all of the materials that he would need from Tyre, from the various areas to build and put together the temple. If you're reading your Bible through this year, you've been reading about it the last couple of weeks, about the vast temple, this amazing temple that took seven and a half years for Solomon to finally build. It was his life goal and life passion. And David's passion was to build this temple temple and uh, seven and a half years, 180,000 labors. That's almost 200,000 labors. That's the full population of the city of Pasadena that was working around the clock to build this great temple for seven and a half years. Uh, Everybody say awesome. Many people said that this temple of Solomon, when it was completed, was the eighth wonder of the world. In fact, the mass of gold that was used in Solomon's temple was 100,000 talents of gold. That was one-thirtieth of the entire amount of gold in the whole world. One-thirtieth of all the gold that had been mined at that place was lavished on this building and multiple talents of silver. They said in today's economy, 100,000 talents of gold would be well over $77 billion worth of gold. And the entire construction of the temple would be well over $100 billion. Some people even estimate $247 billion of worth to build this building. Just to give you a little heads up there, there is not a building in the world today that comes even close to the value in terms of finance of this temple that was built. It was awesome because Solomon and David's God was awesome and they wanted to build a temple. It was so awesome that when Sheba came in, the queen, this great queen who'd been raised in uh, uh, a tremendous uh, amount of luxury came in and she saw the beauty. She saw all the things that were laid out before her. The Bible says she had no breath in her or another translation says she literally fainted on the spot when she saw the glory of the temple, the beauty of this thing that they had created in the physical mentality of the Old Testament to say, this is the dwelling place of the glory of God. When they dedicated the temple, we read it this week, when, we, when they dedicated the temple, the glory of the Lord filled the house uh, so much so that the 
that the, the priest could not even stand to minister because that smoke called the Shekinah glory had filled the house of the Lord and come to roost above the mercy seat. And the whole house was filled with the glory of God. Everybody say awesome. When the people of God came to Sinai and God gave his law to them on Sinai, they were so fearful. They didn't want to come near the mountain. They were scared to death of the glory of God because they understood the awesome nature and the wonder of God. Hallelujah. So this temple, I want to just share this with you. I noticed this this week. The temple that was built as a testimony of the glory of God, David and Solomon selected the location for the temple to be placed. And they built it where a threshing floor had been on a little mountain called Mount Moriah. Mount Moriah, I saw that and it got my attention because I remembered a story that happened at Mount Moriah. It was Mount Moriah where Abraham took his son Isaac, this promised child, led him up the mountain, tied him up like an animal and laid him on the altar. And with tears in his eyes and a broken heart, lifted that knife to sever the throat and hear the death cry of his beloved child that he had held in his arms and longed for and finally received and loved. And an angel shouted, Abraham, Abraham, stop. And there God's mercy stopped the hand of the knife from slicing the throat of Isaac and Mount Moriah became symbolic of mercy. Then I realized just years later at during David's reign that David disobeyed God and numbered the people of Israel. While he was numbering the people of Israel, God said there's punishment coming. The death angel came. The death angel was meeting out punishment and he was about to strike Jerusalem. And the Bible says he stopped at Mount Moriah and stayed there with a sword like this in a frozen position. Amen. And and the, the judgment did not fall. Mercy instead kept judgment from falling on Jerusalem. And so David and Solomon said, let's build the temple right there on Mount Moriah. And so the temple became a monument to God's mercy, that God showed mercy. And I want to tell you today that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit. And you build a monument in this world of the fact that God saved you. That's the most awesome thing about the presence of God is that he has the power to wipe you out and we all deserve to be wiped out but God did not wipe us out but because of Calvary his mercy has been shown to us and so because of the glory of God and because of the awesomeness of God Solomon and David said I'm going to pour everything I have into making this monument to God's mercy as magnificent as possible. And I want to tell you that our lives, our lives should be built around the concept that my body is a temple and everything that I do, I'm doing it to the glory of God because of the mercy that He has shown to me. Sometimes I'm afraid we forget about the power of God's mercy. Thank you, Brother Chris, for reminding us that were it not for the mercy of God, all of us would be consumed. And were it not for the mercy of God, all of us deserve judgment. Every single one of us deserved to die and go to hell. But because of the mercy of God, His sort of judgment was stayed. And so I build a temple. My life has got to be a testimony to the glory and the greatness of God. What He has done for me. It's not by your works that you're saved. It's not by your goodness that you're saved. You're saved by the mercy of God. And so in turn, my life becomes a monument of everything that God has done for me. Because God is an awesome God. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. I want to talk to you a little bit here on this subject of idolatry. Was the big problem in the Old Testament. What was idolatry? Idolatry was taking common things like creatures, beasts, carvings, taking common things and making them sacred, venerating and worship, worshiping stone or wood carvings or animals. This is idolatry. But there is a reverse of idolatry that we read about, and some of us maybe haven't thought about this, and it's called profanity. Profanity. Now, when, you think, when I say profanity, you think of curse words. But when you look in the Old Testament and you study the word profane, it simply means things 
that are common, things that are have the potential to defile. And so profanity is the reverse of idolatry. Idolatry is taking common things and making them sacred. Profanity is taking sacred things and making them common. And so God spoke in Ezekiel through the prophet and said, i got a problem with the people of God. And here is the problem, is they have not made a differentiation between things that are sacred and things that are common. In fact, the word profane means outside of the temple. Things that are outside of the temple. Things that are common. So in the olden days, they would say, the oldest profane building in town is 300 years old. But the oldest building in town is the temple. It's 600 years old. So profane meant anything that was outside of the temple, anything that was outside of the holy. He said, you have profaned my name. He said, you have profaned yourself. You have profaned the Sabbath. You've profaned the temple. You've profaned the, the, uh, 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 the sanctuary. These sacred holy things, uh, you have made them common. And God says there is a problem when you take the sacred and make it common, just like there is a problem when you take the common and make it sacred. And I want to talk to you today because I am concerned deep in my heart, not just for this church, but for the church in general, of those that have been serving God for a long time, those that maybe are second generation apostolic Pentecostals or third generation, is the danger of taking that which is sacred and making it common, losing awe for the things of God, losing that sense of amazement about the power and the anointing and the miracles of God until the things of God become common in our eyes. One example in Scripture of this is when David prepared to bring the ark of God's presence, the ark of the testimony, into the house of the Lord. In 2 Samuel chapter 6, you could read it yourself. David arose went to where the ark had been kept. The ark had been kept for years in the household of a man named Abinadab. But first of all, you must understand what the ark of the covenant is. The ark of the covenant housed the commandments that God had written with his finger on the tablets and given to Moses, this, these laws of engagement. And not only that, but the ark of the, 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 the covenant was where the glory of God dwelt. It said that Jehovah was enthroned between the cherubims. So it was not just a box, it was a throne. And the glory of God was enthroned upon this ark. And for years, the ark had sat in the house of this man named Abinadab and his sons Ahio and Uzzah had grown up around the sacred, had spent a lot of time around the glory of God. And the story goes that when it came time to move that ark from the house of Abinadab to Jerusalem, that they put it on a new cart. And as they were driving out on this new cart, which obviously we understand now was not the appropriate way to transport the ark, it had to be carried on the shoulders of the priests. But on this new cart, they carried it and it came to a threshing floor and this rough patch, if you would begin to shake the cart and the ark begin to tilt back and forth and Uzzah who had been raised around the sacred reached out and touched the ark to stable it trying to do a good work trying to keep the ark from falling but the Bible says that he was struck down dead right there on the threshing floor there's a lot of things that we could try to figure out about this story but one thing is clear God is not pleased when the things that are sacred become common to people because of their familiarity with it because of the long time that they have spent in the presence of it. I want to shake us awake right now because God wants to do great revival in our midst. But God cannot bring revival through a people who have become familiar and common with the things of God that they don't have that eyes wide open awe about the potential and the glory and the magnificence of the God that they serve. Yeah, it's terrible to use foul language, but the real profanity I'm worried about is God's people taking the sacred and it becoming common and normal and commonplace to them. Amen. He lost his sense of awe. He lost his sense of wonder. And I have this thing burning in my heart because I observe as a pastor and I observe as a regular human being around the kingdom of God. That there's something that accompanies a new believer when they have been taken from a life of sin 
delivered from a life of selfishness, delivered from all kinds of vices. And they come into the house of the Lord and they experience the power and the presence of the living God. And it's like I've never experienced anything like that. I've never felt anything like that. And I've never known the glory and the grace and the presence of God to operate and move like that. I, and, and, and they just come straight out with it. Brother Rick, what the heck was that? Is what he told me when he got the Holy Ghost. He said, what is that I feel? What is that that just happened and took place in my life. You know what it was? It was the glory of God exposed to somebody who was in awe and wonder at the mystery and the newness of it all. And those that come into the presence of the Lord, into the house of the Lord, you tell them God can do a miracle and they're like, that sounds good. Let's have a miracle. You tell them God can save their brother. They say, okay, God's going to do it. Let's pray and agree together and believe toward that end. And you tell them that God's going to work miracles and they're like, let me be the first one to see. I'm going to be right there. Because I believe that it's going to happen. Because he's an awesome God. I'm blown away. I'm amazed by this awesome God. But then you take those of us who have been around church for a while. You know what? I've been to so many church services. You can't imagine how many church services I've been to in my life. I could sing almost every song in the songbook word for word. I grew up underneath church pews. Sleeping. And then when the, when the ladies would start dancing, I would watch my toes and fingers. I remember listening to Brother David give his testimony during testimony service. Me and the other boys would sit back and count. How many times is he going to say truly? Because he likes to say truly. Truly God is so truly good and truly is. His record is 12. Let's see if he breaks at this testimony. And I... I reach the point and go into church, and some of you know what I'm talking about when you know what's going to happen next. You kind of, hey, it's getting pretty exciting. It may be a good service. And, and then, uh, well, look at Sister So-and-so. She's getting that look in her eye. Oh, man. She's getting that little shake and shimmy to her. We know something's going to take place here. It's getting ready to get crazy in this house. And then we get home, and the kids, we'd like imitate. This is how Brother Chris dances. This is how Brother Chris runs the aisles. This is how sister so-and-so gets her praise on. And the things of God become familiar to us. And we lose that sense of awe and that sense of trembling expectation of what is God going to do next. And instead of having that sense of wonder and awe and mystery, it's like, hey, we got it all figured out. We know what's going to happen. I know it's going to take place next. Yeah, they're going to do prayer requests now. Watch this. Brother Brown's voice is going to get really loud and he's going to get that vibrato in his voice. <laughs> Check him out. Familiarity. Familiarity with the things of God. Familiarity with the house of God. Familiarity with the Word of God. It seems like that would be a good thing. But have you ever heard the word before? Familiarity breeds contempt. Well, I've found with the things of God what familiarity breeds is unbelief. Jesus went back to his hometown in Nazareth. You remember the story? He had been working miracles everywhere. Everywhere that Jesus went, the town was ready to receive him. He came to Cana of Galilee, and there's a group of people bringing, bringing out all their sick folks. And, and uh, somebody's going around collecting all, all the, the people that uh, uh, are, are uh, lame and the people that have blind eyes. And they're bringing them together. And the sick babies are being brought to the presence of Jesus. They've never met him before. They've only heard the stories. It's been, uh, uh, the stories and the rumors have been going throughout the countryside. Everybody came to see Jesus when he came to town. But then he goes back to his hometown where everybody knows him and everybody's familiar with him and everybody's been around him for years. And he stands up in the temple, or I'm sorry, the, the synagogue, and he begins to speak in the synagogue in Nazareth while he reads from Isaiah. He's reading there a prophetic word about the coming Messiah. It wasn't 9-6, but it was uh, the other portion in Isaiah where it talks about him being wounded and pierced and so forth. He's reading. And there while... The Lord is speaking in his hometown, this miracle-working God. They begin to whisper once one another, isn't this the carpenter's son? Yeah, this is, uh, he, his sisters go to school with my daughters. I remember Jesus, I, I know him very, very well. I, I saw him when he was a child. I, I watched him grow up. And the Bible says they were offended in him. 
And for whatever reason, the Bible declares that Jesus did not many mighty works in Nazareth. You've got to catch this point. The people who were the most familiar with him and had known him the longest ended up missing out on the glory of God because they had not all respect or faith for what he could do in their midst. I want to share with you right now what God has been smiting my heart about, what God has been talking to me about. God wants to use people in this church. God wants to use some young people in this church. God wants to use some people that have experience and a, a, a heritage and a lineage in the things of God. But I want to tell you right now that God cannot use those who think they ha- that they have him figured out. And God cannot use those that have just a casual, indifferent attitude about the things of the Lord. Amen. The psalmist said this in Psalms chapter 1. Those that delight in the law of the Lord are blessed. And I want to delight in the law of the Lord. But what has happened to us is we've got it reversed and there's no more passion oftentimes amongst those that are second and third generation for the things of God. It's just a routine. It's just habit. It's just we're in this because we're in this. And uh, I've talked to people before and uh, they said, well, I'm I'm a Catholic or a, I'm Presbyterian or a, I'm I'm a Mormon. And, uh, and, you, and, and you get this sense that it's like they're talking about their ethnicity or something. It's not an experience. It's not something that they have a conviction about. It's just what they were raised around. It's just what they're familiar with but God is looking for some people God is looking for a church made up of people that understand the greatness and the awe and the glory and the wonder and the power that's available through Jesus Christ the Lord said to one of the churches in Asia Minor said you've lost your first love I have this against you. Return return to your first love or I will remove the candlestick and put a new one in. Something else. The ten virgins, five wise, five foolish, five foolish virgins had been spirit filled because they had the oil. But the oil ran out and they didn't go. Those invited guests, Jesus said, were invited to the marriage supper. But they were too busy with other things. Other things had become too important to them. So the selected guests, the one that were beloved and the ones that were known, were done away with. And a new list of invitations went out into the highways and to the byways. And I want to tell you this last day church, uh, this last day church that's going to shake this community and shake our world is not going to be made up of second, third, and fourth generation people who are just plodding along because they were raised in this thing. But there's got to be somebody who says, I believe in the power and the presence of the living God. I believe God's going to do miracles. I believe God's going to shake us from our lethargy. I believe God's going to open prison doors. Hallelujah. I believe God's going to do some amazing things in our midst. So I preached before. I remember preaching before. I wish there's a way I could take everything you think you know about God out of your mind and introduce you to Him all over again like it was the first time you met Him. I wish I could go into Nazareth right, right when Jesus was preaching there and say, you guys think you have this Jesus figured out. Can you please for a minute right now forget everything you've known all your life about Jesus and let me introduce you to the miracle worker, the one that walks on water, the one that unstops deaf ears and causes dumb people to speak, the one that takes crippled limbs and straightens and strengthens them and and lifts sick people out of their sick beds. This Jesus has power to do all things. I want to tell you, it got a hold of my heart when I met downstairs and prayed with Brother... uh, Oh, my goodness. Molander. A few weeks ago. I met him downstairs. He was going to speak for us on prayer on Wednesday night. He said, can I meet you at 5.30? Or he didn't ask to meet. He said, I'll be there at 5.30. I said, I'll meet with you and we'll pray. We prayed together. This man who spends hours a day praying, down there praying in the prayer room, shaking, crying, tears flowing down his face, 
said, how does it happen that a man can live this long and still be in awe of God, still shake and tremble in the presence of the Lord, still put God first every day of his life and not allow the common things to get into the place of God in his life and not let the things of God become common to him. I want to tell you right now, there was something burning in his spirit uh, and I want that to burn in my spirit uh, because revival doesn't come because of your lineage. Revival doesn't come because of your heritage. Revival doesn't come because of where you've been and who you are. But revival comes when there's people who are so in awe of the mystery of this great and powerful God that they can believe Him for anything. Hallelujah. 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 David said, I was glad when they said unto me, let us go to the house of the Lord. He didn't say, is it church again? He said, I was glad when they said unto me, let us go to the house of the Lord. said, in his law, I meditate day and night. I can't wait to get into the Word of God. I'm hungry for the Word of God. But you done read it 30 times. I don't care. I'm thirsty for the Word of God. There's so much mystery and amazement and awesome truth in that Word. I can't get enough of the Word of God. God, I pray that you would burn with fire in our midst. Listen to me, young people. Here's my concern. The Holy Spirit spoke to me this week and said, we're going to have revival. Either through those that understand this and have been brought up in this, or they're going to get out of the way, and there's some new ones that are going to be brought in that have faith to believe. But I'm telling you right now, let something burn in your spirit. Don't let the, uh, uh, the, the holy and the sacred become common to you. But say, I was glad when they said unto me. Let us go to the house of the Lord. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Can I remind you that God is a miracle working God? And I don't mean 2,000 years ago. And I don't mean for your grandma and grandpa or your mom and dad. I'm talking about for you. God will work miracles amongst those that have this amazed awe and faith about what God can do. I told you that I believe God, we could see 50 people baptized in Jesus' name by the end of the year and 75 people filled with the baptism of the Holy Ghost by the end of the year. Guess what? That's an easy thing for God. God could do that in two weeks. You know, there is revival that's happening in Pakistan. My cousin is a missionary in Pakistan. You know where Pakistan is? That's where, that's like the headquarters of the, of the extreme Islamic radicals. That's where Osama bin Laden was in Pakistan. There are missionaries there, Christian missionaries in the middle of radical Islam. Now, don't, don't you sit there and tell me that that's not a mystery or not a uh, adventurous life going into an area like that where your life could be snuffed out at any time. And there they are proclaiming the gospel, not just proclaiming the gospel in the corner, but having crusades. And he said in the last eight years, I, I, I am pretty sure I have the numbers right. They went from a constituency of about 12,000 people in the United Pentecostal Church in Pakistan in eight years from 12,000 to over 90,000 people, spirit-filled, Jesus' name baptized, disciples of Jesus Christ under the banner of the United Pentecostal Church in a matter of eight years. And I said, how did it happen? He said one word, miracles. Miracles. See, because you can't walk into, an, into the home of a Muslim and say, let me teach you a Bible study from the King James Version Bible. They don't even believe that it's inspired Word of God. They may believe part of it's inspired, but they certainly don't believe the New Testament's inspired. You can't go in there and say, I'm going to try to convince you. Follow me now. I'm going to take you down a little pathway, and I'm going to show you about the goodness of God. No. When they hear that their cousin had a daughter that was sick nigh unto death, and they took it to this place where they were preaching about Jesus, and they spoke the name of Jesus over her, and she was brought out of that sickness, and healing came to her body. All 
was sitting there like, let me find out about this Jesus. Let me find out about this Christ. I'm telling you, we live in Southern California. We live in a place where God wants to thunder with revival. But there's got to be this sense of awe and wonder about who He is. What He can do. My father preached in, in Pakistan a number of times. He said, very, very often they have miracles. One of the services he, he preached, a man came to the front with one of those kind of rough-hewn canes and a club foot. Anybody know what a club foot is? And down in the altar, they were praying together. While they were praying, his foot straightened out just like normal after years and years of being a club foot. And I'll tell you right now, things like that begin to happen in the house of the Lord, in the presence of the Lord. See, you're like, well, I've never seen anything like And I've been coming to this church for 32 years and 15 months. That'd be 33 years and three months. Right? Good math. The point is, our familiarity sometimes puts us in a position where God can't break through because we can't believe Him for something that we haven't seen. And we've been here so long, so we must have seen everything. I'm telling you right, you have not seen everything. And God wants to do some great things, but I'm challenging some people. Challenging some young people. I, I get on uh, Twitter. Anybody heard of Twitter before? Social network. One of the people that I follow on Twitter is Brother Kenneth Haney, the one whose father built this building. Then Kenneth Haney and his father went to Stockton. They built a church just like this building. Now in Stockton, they have a church building that seats 6,000. The church grew rapidly. And Brother Haney tweeted this week. I wish I could pull it up and look at the exact words, but he tweeted this week. The church in Stockton grew very fast, but there was an unbelievable amount of prayer and fasting, and we were running bus routes, and we were picking people up, all of us. Not just the, but all of us were picking people up and bringing them to church. And the church grew rapidly. I want to tell you right now, there has got to be something that burns. It can't just be a pastime to us. It can't just be like, okay, I'm doing my church thing now. That's what I mean by taking the sacred and making it common. It's just another thing in our schedule. It's another thing we do out of all the things that we do in our life. Uh, it just becomes another one of our priorities on a list of priorities. And it may be near the top, but it's not at the top. But God says the only place I'll allow myself to be is at the top. I want no other gods before. But whenever things that are common take priority over the things of God, it's profanity. It's taking the common and making it sacred. And I want to tell you right now... That if there are some people that would put God first and have faith to believe God for supernatural, miraculous, and great things. Hallelujah. See, I'm talking about, I, I want to hear some stories come out. Maybe, maybe it's just two. Maybe it's three young people. Maybe it's a couple young married couples that say, we believe God for X, Y, Z. And we're going to pray and fast radical until we see it happen. And then we're going to tell everybody about it. Come on now. And they get down to business and they say, we believe in this God we're praying about. We believe in the miracles of God. Hey, you get somebody that's got faith and tenacity and has the wonder of God in their spirit and they start praying for you, you better believe. Something's going to change in your situation. You may be living your own life, doing your own thing in your own groove, loving life and loving the world. But if you ever get in the crosshairs of a person of faith, that person's going to be saved right now. I'm going after that person with faith. I believe with all my heart. God's going to use me. God's going to open the door. God's going to make it available. There's power in faith and there's power in prayer. Hallelujah. I love this story that was told about my uh, wife's grandmother's uh, great-grandmother's sister, I believe it was, who had, they'd had a, a failed surgery that caused her one leg to wither up to where it was drawn like this and she had to be carried everywhere. She was a young lady. And uh, she came to church with her mom and dad. And they were having a prayer meeting at the end. People were seeking for the Holy Ghost. Mom and dad had to work the next day. So they went home. This was back in the days when people went to revival every night. You know what I'm talking about? 
It was like revival every night of the week. Oh, we're too busy for that now. Yeah, you get too much appetite for things of the world for that now. See, I always wonder, how in the world, how in the world could somebody in awe of God sit at home and watch a television program while God's people are gathered together studying the Word of the Lord? This is what I'm talking Let's put the rubber on the pavement there. There has got to be this passion for the things of God and this appetite for the Word of God and something inside. Well, he's a boring teacher. What in the world are you talking about? This is the Word of God. You lack an appetite. That's your problem. You've got an appetite for the wrong things. There's something that's missing or uh, uh, something that's faded away in your spirit. Uh, and I'm challenging somebody right now in the name of the Lord. story within a story back to the original story mom and dad went home for work said can you bring her home when she finishes praying friend from the church said yeah i'll bring her home i can carry her home bring her home in my automobile jalopy horse-drawn carriage whatever it was horseless i'll bring her home in my horseless carriage and while she was praying there for the holy ghost most of the church had gone home and they were praying There were some of those mothers in Zion that were praying, 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 had that crazy, crazy faith. God, you're going to fill it with the Holy Ghost. I know we prayed for a while, but God, you're going to fill it with the Holy Ghost. I know everybody else went home, but God, you're going to fill it with the Holy Ghost. Come on now. And they were praying for her. And she broke through and began to speak in other tongues. As the Spirit of God gave this little girl the utterance. And when she began to speak in other tongues, her legs stretched back to normal. And she began to run around that church. And then the story goes that she ran by foot back to her house and showed up in the household of her mother and father. As they were getting ready for bed. Come on now. There is a miracle working God. But he's not going to do those kinds of miracles if you can't believe him for it. If you can't expect that he is an awesome God. He's a powerful God. And nothing is impossible with the God that you're served. Our God is an awesome God. He reigns from heaven above. Our God is an awesome God. Why don't you stand to your feet and praise him right now. Hallelujah, Lord. Hallelujah, Lord. Hallelujah, Lord. Hallelujah, Lord. Hallelujah, Jesus. Come on, pray in the Holy Ghost, somebody, right now. Hallelujah. God, have your way in this place today. Praise the name of Jesus, King of kings and Lord of lords. Glory of the Lord, we pray, Lord Jesus. Shine upon us, dear God. Shine upon us, Jesus. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. The Bible says in Psalms 34, it says, Oh, magnify the Lord with me and let us exalt his name together. Let me remind you of something. The word magnify, we generally think when we say magnify it means to make something larger when you magnify something it becomes larger but the reality is is magnifying something does not make it any larger it stays the same size but what magnifying something does is it changes our perspective or viewpoint of it so that it appears bigger It changes our perspective of it. And I want to tell you that when we come in the house of the Lord and we begin to magnify the Lord, we don't make Him any bigger. But we begin to change the way that we view Him. And our perspective of the Lord. I'm telling you right now. I feel the Holy Ghost right now. Because 
Some of you have some big, big problems. Have some big, impossible issues. Some of you have some visions that God put in your spirit, but you look at them and they're just too impossible, too big. But when we begin to magnify the Lord, all of a sudden we begin to see Him as great as He is. As powerful as He is. How He's able to make that which is impossible become possible. And our faith begins to rise. And here's what I want to say to you today. Oh, magnify the Lord with me. Let us exalt His name together. My God, let Your will and purpose be done in our midst. Let Your glory fill this house. Hallelujah. In just a moment, we're going to see some people get baptized for the first time in water in the name of Jesus Christ. So that means three down in Jesus' name, 47 to go. Every soul counts. Every soul counts. But I want us to gather together just for a moment before we have this time of baptism together. And I want us to pray together. And I want us to ask the Lord to shake us up. And the most important thing of all that I want us to ask God is to change our perspective of Him as we worship Him, as we praise Him, as we magnify Him. Let Him begin to be bigger and bigger in our lives. Our expectations for what He can do become bigger and bigger and bigger. And our faith to become bigger and bigger and bigger. Brother Charlie, come here right now. Brother Charlie has a vision in his heart. He shared it with me. He believes that God's maybe laid it in his heart and he's still searching it out. He wants to do something great for the kingdom of God. He's just a new believer. He just came in and was water baptized, spirit baptized last September, less than a year. But he said, God, I feel like God wants me to help serve some of the senior citizens of the church and senior citizens that maybe aren't even in the church because they go through tremendous uh, amount of pain and suffering and they get discouraged and they're filled with fear as they're facing, some of them facing death. He said, I believe that God could use me. I just believe God can use me to create a spirit-filled retirement home, a spirit-filled retirement home that provides care for people. And he said, I... I got some avenues that I'm going down to see if we can begin to see the beginning stages of making it happen. You know what? That's big, big faith, isn't it? Is that big faith or what? 